0: G-I-R-L-S-C-A-M-P, it's Girls' Camp. Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to Girls' Camp. You know, I really need just a standard intro that I do every time, so I'm not thinking of new ways to say hi at the beginning of every episode, but for today, I guess it's hello, 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 hello. <laughs> I'm your host, Haley Rawl. I'm so glad you've tuned in today. I am all by my lonesome coming at you with a solo episode. Today, we're talking about the word of wisdom and what it's like to leave the word of wisdom behind as post-Mormons, as transitioning Mormons, all the stuff that comes out when you're doing that. What it says about us, what it says about the church, there is a lot to get into and I've got a lot to say, per usual. Before we dive on in, I wanted to do a little check-in with you all and just say again how grateful and shocked and overjoyed I am that you are listening, that a community is building, that I'm able to connect with you all in this way. I genuinely feel giddy about it day and night and I'm just so excited for what's to come. I have really exciting guests in the works and just so many ideas. I just feel so excited and I wanted to share that. I think I wasn't expecting this to go as well as it has gone. I was expecting more worry as I continued to release episodes, I think, and Sometimes things actually go better than you think, which is a good thing to remind myself of, and doing this podcast has sort of thrusted me, forced me into a new era on my post-Mormon journey where I feel like I'm being more authentic than ever, and it feels really good, and I think it's bled into other areas of my life beyond the podcast, and I'm just grateful for it, and... I know we're all just inching towards authenticity every day, so I'm happy we're on that journey together. And honestly, the biggest reason I feel like I'm able to do that is just because I'm getting support and encouragement, and I'm just really, really grateful. So there's a little gratitude moment. Thanks again for being here, and lots of good things on the horizon for Girls Camp. Okay, let's talk about the word of wisdom. There's one thing I wanted to say right off the bat, one thing I wanted to discuss when it comes to the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom was actually a really big paradigm shifter for me on my way out of the church. I remember distinctly a few years ago, I listened to a Norman memes podcast, of all things, and it was about the origin of the Word of Wisdom and kind of provided some more historical context. And what they shared is that the Word of Wisdom is very much a product of its time. So at the time the Word of Wisdom was revealed to Joseph Smith, as the story goes, there was actually a lot of health codes and health literature that was saying really similar things to what the Word of Wisdom ultimately ended up saying. For example, there were people talking about how hot drinks are bad for you, and there was a lot of prohibition initiatives going on. Kind of an anti-alcohol sentiment was a big thing at the time as well. And that may seem like a small thing, but that really got my gears turning because I remember that paradigm shift when I realized the word of wisdom really is not unique. I had been raised to believe that it was this really, really special, unique revelation that was super surprising to people at the time. And then the science eventually caught up with the revelation, which was made out to prove that it was true. And just establishing that it was actually pretty par for course of what was going on in the early 1800s was a super big deal for me. And that perspective of understanding that it was just a product of its time as opposed to a super groundbreaking revelation was able to sort of cascade into how then I felt about Joseph Smith as a prophet and the whole origin of the church as a whole because really in the historical context there were a lot of people claiming to have seen God there were a lot of people founding churches that were saying they had the only truth and the word of wisdom was my little gateway like the little crack in the door to kind of wrapping my head around the fact that the church is really not that unique and is like many other religions, and it's a product of its time that has lasted, and that was, I would just say, a big step for me in unpacking the truth claims and the uniqueness of the church as a whole. I've been thinking about why the Word of Wisdom comes up so frequently, why it's such a big deal for a lot of post-Mormons. It's a big deal for me, and how even doing this podcast, a lot of the submissions and questions have been Word of Wisdom related, and I think that the Word of Wisdom provides this really interesting kind of exaggerated microcosm of the church as a whole, maybe. At least it does for me, and when we can look at something so specific and tangible as the Word of Wisdom, we can actually see how the dynamics of the church are at play in much more nuanced ways in our lives, which is why I think it's a really worthwhile topic to look at from multiple facets and to really get into. And there we go. There's my transition. That's what we're going to do today. I want to start out reading a question that someone wrote in. It says... I was having a conversation with a friend recently about a tattoo he got. He is also in a post-Mormon spot in his life. When I asked him what made him want a tattoo, he replied that he thought it was cool, obviously, but also wanted to have some form of self-expression and rebellion, wanting to do it because it is, quote, frowned upon in a culture he is dissociating from. He is pushing back. Regarding word of wisdom type things like drugs and alcohol, in your experience, how much of the draw to those things is like that? wanting to do it because you used to think it was bad versus how much of the allure is based on the objective merits of the products and substances themselves? I think this is a super fascinating question because there's a lot of layers here. I sense in this question maybe a little bit of an assumption that post-Mormons don't actually want to be drinking alcohol or doing drugs. Maybe Or they understand that those things are not good, but we are doing them anyway because of this, like, rebelliousness or something. And I don't want to completely invalidate that premise because I think there certainly are people who maybe are acting a little bit more out of rebellion or pushback because, you know, they grew up in a church where they couldn't do these things and now they can. I can even relate to that on some level. However, I just think that no one's probably going to drink alcohol for the whole rest of their lives just out of a need to push back on the church, like to spite the church or stick it to the man. (laughs) Even if the initial draw to substances is from this curiosity of the unknown, that's what I would say it was for me. I wouldn't say there was very much of a rebelliousness around substances, more so I was just really curious about them because I had never been able to partake (laughs) and it's a thing that many if not most people in the world do participate in and I wanted to see what it was like so, I may have been drawn by this initial curiosity, but then after trying substances, I have been able to just take a step back and decide how I want to continue using substances in my life. I'm doing that from a place of really rational thinking, I would say, dare I say. <laughs> and I think most people around me who are doing the same thing are too, where You know we're trying things and once we know what it's like or how it feels and how it impacts us then we're able to decide if we want to keep doing it or not doing it and something that was really interesting to see was in the submissions that came in for this episode one submission would say you know i tried an edible for the first time and i really hated it i had a terrible panic attack but I love a glass of wine at night to wind down. And then the very next submission would say basically the opposite where they said, I really avoid alcohol, doesn't feel good for my body, but I smoke a little bit every night to go to sleep or what have you. And I thought that was super interesting because it just really showed to me how we're all trying these things out and then drawing different conclusions based on different contexts and how our bodies react differently and just how we feel and yeah I guess to me that kind of just shows that there's not so much this pushback that this person who wrote in described so much as people just trying new things and then figuring out what feels good and right for them and for their lives okay another write-in said My husband's dad is a recovered alcoholic, so it's been interesting to navigate the freedom to drink, but also staying sensitive to him. We are very particular about the amount we drink because of that as well. I think it's actually helped make the faith slash word of wisdom transition smoother because we took it slow. I absolutely feel you. I have mentioned before that I have substance abuse in my family, And I wanted to get into that a little bit more. So my dad struggled with drug addiction and alcoholism off and on for most of my childhood and adolescence. He's in a good, stable place now, but growing up, he was in and out of rehabs and trying all sorts of treatments to overcome his addictions. And it was really hard. It was really hard for him. It was hard for my family, my my mom, my sisters, my brother. And I have seen myself how devastating addiction can be. Addiction to alcohol, addiction to drugs. And when you have that addiction in your life, when you're witnessing Addiction, and then you're also raised in Mormonism where you go to church and hear about how bad and may I say evil these substances are. Those two things were always kind of reinforcing the other thing. So I was seeing my dad's addiction and then learning about it at church, and they were kind of proving each other right. And that has been a really big thing for me to unpack. Because it's sometimes difficult to separate the two and to make the distinction between this fear that the church instilled in me that I no longer subscribe to versus the very real reality that addiction happens. And with substances like alcohol and drugs, there is an amount of care and thoughtfulness that Has to be applied, even just responsibility in how you engage with those substances. So, all that to say, I feel you, this person who wrote in. It can be really difficult to navigate that balance. It's already hard when you just have so much baggage around (laughs) substances just from the church. And then the addiction element makes it even more complex. I really love what you said because. I feel similarly. I have taken it slow with alcohol in particular, and I've erred on the side of caution because that's what has felt best for me, and I'm glad I've done it that way. You mentioned that it has made your transition more smooth by taking it slow, and I think I would echo that sentiment. I've really taken my time and just not felt the need to jump into the deep end, which some people do and i'm i'm not invalidating that either i just think it's been a bit of a slower journey for me as well and i am very much still on that journey i totally get in my head about substances even though i know deep down in my heart that i feel like i can trust myself and that i am responsible it is hard not to have a lot of that guilt and shame and baggage come up and it's something that I'm working through and that I'm sure I will continue to work through probably for the rest of my life. One thing I did want to mention though is that I have found personally that trying alcohol, trying drugs, marijuana is the only drug I've really tried, but it's actually been really healing for me in an interesting way because I grew up really believing the narrative that if you were an addict, you would try one sip of alcohol and then become addicted. Like there was no control over it. It was that slippery slope logical fallacy that the church really promotes. And it's been healing for me to be able to use those substances and not become an addict and to realize I have autonomy, I have control, I have trust in myself and where I'm at mentally and I can adjust and be responsible and do what's right for me and I'm not just going to automatically go down that slippery slope. That has helped me challenge that thinking in other areas of my life as well outside of just with substances. I know my dad is an active listener of the podcast, so hi, dad, if you're listening. I actually would love to have my dad on the podcast sometime because I think his story of navigating an addiction while still being part of the Mormon church would be really interesting to get into. I know that there is a lot of addiction in the Mormon community, and I have not done enough research to give my armchair theories on why that may be. But I think it would be really fascinating to look into that more because I guess I will share my armchair theory. But I do think that because there's a lot of shame, there's extra shame around substances, there's extra secrecy. I just can't imagine that that helps people avoid addiction, which does thrive in secrecy. Anyway, I'm going to table that because, like I said, I don't know enough about it to really get into it, but I think it'd be a great conversation to have with my dad who's experienced addiction or to an expert on the matter and talk about the addiction-Mormonism crossover and why that might be. Okay, I'm going to share a really tender story that somebody wrote in. They said, I was really nervous to try alcohol at a work party coming up, as my coworkers knew that I was recently ex Mormon. So I asked my cousin, who had left the church years prior, to help me and my husband with trying alcohol. She got several different types to try and talked about drinking safely, eating food, drinking lots of water, etc., all at our house in a controlled environment. It was so helpful having a close friend/slash family member walk us through trying alcohol and explaining things that most others learn in college. This submission made me cry. I think it's the most sweet thing I've ever heard. Go, cousin, for being so kind and so thorough in the alcohol training. That's a big deal. And I think that's such an interesting experience that we post-Mormons get to have where we are learning about how to drink alcohol so much later in life than so many people do. However, one of the benefits is it seems like when you're learning how to drink alcohol in high school, you kind of just trial and error it. But when you're older, we might be a little more thorough and a little more careful and maybe avoid some of the extreme hangovers that would happen in our younger years. But anyway, I think this is so sweet, and it makes me think of all the people who have mentored me as I've navigated substances outside of the church. Honestly, there's a big learning curve with alcohol. I didn't realize there were certain alcohols you shouldn't mix or you shouldn't drink Beer before liquor. Beer before liquor, never been sicker, apparently. I can't drink beer because it has wheat in it. That's beside the point. There's that rule. It's important to stay hydrated, which I didn't know. Learning all those things and having someone help me out made my first experiences with alcohol pretty good, I would say. I myself am quite moderate in my alcohol intake, mostly because I think I have an irrational fear of having a really bad hangover and I hate throwing up but the sweet spot for me in case this means anything to anyone is one glass of white wine over dinner and I usually have a glass of water a glass of white wine and it makes me feel so giggly and sleepy cozy fun I've also tried a bunch of other things mixed drinks and stuff like that if I'm not gonna have a glass of wine I personally like a shot. I would rather take a shot of vodka or gin or tequila than work my way through a mixed drink, but I think I'm still acquiring the taste for alcohol. I've started to kind of like white wine after having it enough, but mixed drinks still don't taste very good to me, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that changes over time, but for now... I'm a I'm a white wine gal, a little Pinot Grigio. <laughs> I'm just thinking about how funny these conversations would even be to someone outside of Mormonism. Just, I don't know. I'm sure it's a very odd thing to listen to a grown adult talk about navigating all of this. It's just so unique and it's funny and it can feel embarrassing or weird, but it is what it is. And I'm glad I can come here and talk about all the little alcohol tricks I've learned as a 27 year old okay this next submission is undoubtedly my favorite submission to the podcast so far it is two sentences short and sweet it says have you ever been high on space mountain truly a remarkable experience (laughs) I wish they got into the remarkable experience a little bit more I would love to hear more about it No, I have not been high on Space Mountain. I don't love Space Mountain in general. It makes me really nauseous. But thinking about this now, I would love to get high on the Indiana Jones ride, which is my favorite Disneyland ride, or Splash Mountain. Those would be really fun high. I think Indiana Jones ride even more so. Just being high at Disneyland would really be quite the time. The music... The characters, the colors, that'd be fun. The food, the snacks, maybe I'll try it sometime. Maybe I can convince Bentley to go to Disneyland with me if edibles are involved. Now seems like a good time to tell you about my first time trying an edible. Oddly enough, the first step I took outside of the word of wisdom even before I had coffee, I think, was taking an edible. We had friends in town while we were living in San Francisco, a couple friend of ours, and we were trying to decide if we wanted to try alcohol altogether for the first time. And Bentley was like, oh, I actually have this bag of gummies in my desk drawer, which I can't even remember where he got those from. But we all took a little bit. I took a super small amount and... I was worried I was going to have a panic attack because that's often how my body reacts to new things. So as the high was sort of kicking in, I started to get shaky and kind of short of breath. So I laid on the couch, I breathed through it, and the high kicked in and we had a great time, just very giggly, silly, funny times with friends. And then the next week another couple friend of ours came in town and we did it with them and it was their first time again. So, kind of special. All getting high for the first time in our San Francisco apartment. But yeah, that was the first non word of wisdom thing I did. It was nice, it was cozy. Kenna and I talked about this a little bit last week, but my current stance on substances. Mind altering substances. I don't know the best thing to call all of this as a whole. Substances feel so grandma ish, but anyway, where I've landed on substances is that they can be such a great tool for connection with other people. I am kind of an uptight person, as those who know me in real life would vouch for. And it is hard for me in social settings to let go. I feel like I'm very overly aware of how people are responding to me in social situations and I'm always trying to kind of monitor and mediate the social situations that I'm in and having a little bit of alcohol or being a little bit high really lets me Take my walls down in a way that I don't think I've ever been able to do without it. And I've really loved it. I feel like I've connected with friends in a different way than I ever was able to and made really fun memories that I don't think I would have had without substances. And I think even being in social situations when you're meeting new people, it can be nice to feel a little bit more loose than I would be otherwise. It's not something I rely on in all social situations I'm in, not even close, but it's a fun kind of special treat to be able to tap into that different side of myself and just connect with people differently. You see why people who are in business and networking and all these things really benefit, I think, from being able to have a drink together because it helps to facilitate connection. It can be a really useful tool to letting loose and having fun and again just connecting with the people around you in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. Speaking of that someone wrote in and said I have always had slight social anxiety at bigger events and around new people. When I finally drank for the first time I felt like it removed that anxiety and allowed me to be myself. But since being raised with the word of wisdom, I felt like I was weak or less than because I needed something to help me be myself. There's always been the idea, I can't believe they need something to be fun or it's not your true self if you have to drink. Obviously, it's something you need to be wise about consuming, but I felt like it's opened so many more doors for me to be able to just relax and get rid of the anxiety I feel. But now it's fighting the idea that I'm using a crutch to help me get along, dot, dot, dot. I relate so much to this. Even as I've been talking about it, I'm resisting the urge to keep disclaiming, yeah, but don't use it as a crutch, or yeah, but remember to use it in moderation, or don't use it all the time, or whatever. And I hope that you all listening understand where I'm coming from because, duh, all those things are true. Be responsible, obviously, and be careful. But I agree with this person. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a drink and having it help you in your interactions with people and feeling like you can connect to your true self in a social situation that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. And yeah, again, obviously sometimes that can get complicated if we don't have the capability to interact with anyone at all unless you're drinking, but I just don't think that's the case for most of us and I think we're all wise enough and mature enough to be able to monitor that appropriately so I just want to echo this person who wrote in because I feel really similarly and I'm also working on fighting those same ideas that you said you are but I think ultimately my tie it up with a ribbon if I can do that is to say when used moderately and wisely go for it I think it can be a helpful and good thing this next submission may have single-handedly convinced me to try shrooms listen to how sweet this is they said I did shrooms for the first time recently just a microdose and it was so lovely I went to the beach in Seattle and watched two packs of seals meet up for a play date and got teary over the fact that the sun on the water was a new color of white I'd never seen before how cozy does that sound I want to microdose and go to a beach in Seattle. I have not yet dipped my toes in the realm of psychedelics. I do really want to. My plan or my hope is to do assisted psychedelic therapy where I have a therapist there to kind of guide me through it. I'm interested in doing that with ketamine or with mushrooms, but just haven't. Taken the initiative yet? Bentley is actually seeing a therapist right now who is going to do a psychedelic assisted experience for him. That sounds so cool. He's going to prepare for it where he has to do like a social media fast and he can't have caffeine and any drugs or alcohol for like 10 days leading up to it. And he has to keep a journal and go out in nature every day. And then he goes to this rented place with his therapist where they administer the psychedelics and are with him throughout the whole experience and then give him a meal afterwards that they've cooked and kind of integrate what he's learned, which sounds so great. Maybe I'll do that exact same thing. Anyway, I just feel like from a lot of people's experiences, I've heard mushrooms can just be such a cool way to tap into your spiritual self and to make really great progress Mentally, just with big mental health blocks. So, I want to try it. I want in on it. I want to read someone else's experience with shrooms. So, this person said, Assisted psychedelic therapy saved my husband's life. He was suicidal. My first experience with psychedelics was also very healing, one of the best nights of my life. We have also greatly enjoyed trying alcohol together, and weed has improved our marriage. This is so nice. I think weed has improved my marriage. It's fun. Occasionally, Bentley and I will just take a gummy and watch a movie together once the girls are asleep and just feel cozier and more connected. And it's just a fun little time. I had someone write in and say, sex is better when you're high, which I can also vouch for. And I think it's a fun thing to experiment with in a marriage. It's nice to have someone that you feel safe with that you can kind of experiment and just have fun, just the two of you. And I'm also so happy, obviously, that this person's husband benefited so greatly from psychedelics. That's really, really cool. Another submission about shrooms said, I had the funniest shrooms experience and not the spiritual kind I expected to have. And that's okay. I've long let go of my expectations to find meaning in everything. I thought that was a really good note as well. I know Kenna and I also talked about this last week, but there is a little bit of a psychedelics cure-all mentality sometimes in post-Mormon spaces and maybe just in society at large right now. And I always bring a healthy dose of skepticism to that kind of mentality. But as this person said... It doesn't always have to mean something. It doesn't even have to change your life. And maybe letting go of those expectations could be a really healthy thing for me and for anyone who hasn't tried psychedelics yet. This person went on to say, also for the record, coffee is so much better for you than all the Diet Coke. In parentheses, I say that clutching my Diet Coke right now. Let's take a brief sidebar to talk about Diet Coke versus coffee. I know, I know, I know. I know coffee's better for you. I know that it's an acquired taste that I could grow to love, but I'm sticking with my Diet Coke for now. I just love something that's cold and fizzy, and I love getting it in the afternoon, and I love driving to Swig or Quench It or So Delicious and getting my Diet Coke with coconut and lime. It's my favorite part of the day. I pop the twins in the back of the car. We listen to a podcast and it's spiritual for me. I love it. And coffee just can't replace that for me right now. However, I may be eating my words eventually if I start to actually keep trying coffee and grow to like it. I think coffee has a really lovely ritual about it as well. Bentley is a big coffee guy. He bought a nice machine where he grinds his own beans and has a little ritual around his coffee in the morning, which seems really cozy and nice, but it's just not my flavor for now. And I don't want y'all coming at me telling me to try a Cortado with steamed whatever milk. I've tried a lot of coffee drinks. I don't hate it. I just don't love it. And I'm going to stick with Diet Coke. Here's another coffee ride-in. Someone said, My partner and I decided to try coffee for the first time together. We made a date of it and went and got brunch. He ordered a latte and I ordered a cappuccino and we both hated it. We didn't know anything about drinking coffee and found ourselves googling if it was okay to add sugar. (laughs) The Mormon conditioning to do it right was so strong, even in breaking the word of wisdom. Eventually, we found how we like our coffee and now on Sundays we go out for coffee and call it Coffee Church coffee church is genius someone needs to start a coffee shop in Provo and call it coffee church and we can all meet up there on Sunday mornings I'll drink coffee for that I will drink a little bit of coffee if we're all at coffee church together I was dying about googling if it's okay to add sugar literally me with anything new but especially with substances I'm always googling like Okay, how much vodka do they put in a this kind of drink? And if I've had that much, then how much more should I have? A, you know, I go down big old Google rabbit holes, but I've never connected it to what this person said, which is the Mormon conditioning to do it right, even in breaking the word of wisdom. But I definitely identify that in myself as well. Okay, listen to this coffee one. Someone said... I love enjoying my guilt-free coffee. Sometimes I'm sad that I shamed myself for decades over a warm hug in a mug. That's cute. Never heard that. The word of wisdom was a big shelf breaker for me. I once was honest about my, quote, occasional coffee in a temple recommend interview, and the second counselor told me to try Red Bull instead. When I told him that was basically flavored cancer in a can, his face made it clear that he thought he was making the better choice. That made it really hard for me to do mental gymnastics about it, and after that, I told myself it's easier just to lie. I wasn't convinced God didn't want me in his temple because of my love for caramel macchiatos. Now I'm happy enjoying the occasional cocktail, my weekend cannabis, and my daily cafecito. Hmm, I haven't heard of that one. Yep. I know that can be a shelf breaker for a lot of people in terms of the word of wisdom. When you're looking at the word of wisdom, that is saying don't drink coffee and herbal teas And then you see that a lot of Mormons are drinking a shit ton of Diet Coke or Red Bulls or Monsters, and it just gets hard to justify that the word of wisdom is really about health. And they say the word of wisdom is like this health thing that's supposed to make us better receptacles for the spirit or whatever. But yeah, it just doesn't really make sense that things like Red Bull and Diet Coke, even though I love it, and again, monsters, all those energy drinks would be allowed, but coffee wouldn't be. And again, I think that just goes back to the product of its time thing. There wasn't Red Bulls when Joseph Smith got the revelation about the Word of Wisdom, but it's just odd to me that the church decided to dig in its heels About coffee when the word of wisdom actually just says hot drinks I've always been intrigued by that and I do wonder I know a lot of people speculate but I wonder if the church will ever change the word of wisdom especially just around things like coffee because I don't know doesn't seem worth it to be losing members over cups of coffee or warm hugs in a mug as this person said but you never know. Sometimes I think the church is going to really dig in its heels before it finally lets up. And the coffee thing, they just really seem to keep hitting over our heads. Does anyone remember that Enzyme article? It came out when I was still in the church, I think, or close to leaving, but it was talking about avoiding coffee and it said you shouldn't even go to coffee shops even if you're getting a hot chocolate or something and then it listed all the different names for different coffee drinks and said like a latte is still coffee a cappuccino is still coffee it was really silly and I remember just thinking that again like why are we making such a big deal about coffee is this really the thing that needs all this time and attention it just really does not make sense to me Okay, last submission I'm going to read. This person said, My partner was never Mormon and I'm an ex-Mormon. Sometimes I feel sad that I missed the boat of the YOLO drinking phase. We still have great nights out with friends where we have a lot of fun with alcohol, but there's this intentionality that I have when I drink. I think it's because it's still like a big deal that I'm drinking. I often tell my partner that I'm proud that I can have a fun time without alcohol. Just last week, we were talking about karaoke, and he said he would never do karaoke without some drinks in him, and I told him of the many times I did karaoke in restaurants in good old Provo, Utah during my BYU days while very sober." I think this pride is in part true, and I feel glad I know how to connect with people socially and have a good time without needing to remove some inhibitions, but I think under the pride is a little bit of grief that I don't know what it's like to have grown up without any shame around alcohol and have fun and drink just because. I do have that mentality now, but all the layers are still very much there. While there's no shame every once in a while, it's like, I just got drunk last night. I don't know if any of this makes sense, but there's this in-between place of holding and accepting where I came from. And also hating it and wishing I had a different experience and wondering if I'd be even more carefree if I knew anything different. I wanted to end with this one because what a great way of summing it all up. I think that it's very real to have some of that grief around not just being a regular person. (laughs) Just being a regular person who had experiences with alcohol in college and had fun partying phases, I feel sad about that too. And then there's also this other part of me that feels glad that I waited until I was older to experiment with substances when I was more responsible and mature. And it's just all very intertwined and... There's just a lot of holding space, as this person said, for accepting where we came from and also understanding that it's okay to have some of that grief. It's okay to feel like we missed out. It's okay to feel maybe embarrassed that we're doing all of this so late. And I just think they summed it up so well. I used to feel that same way. I remember saying all the time when I was in the church, Mormons are so creative. We have so much fun because we're able to have fun. Without substances. And I still kind of have fond memories of just doing really weird stuff while most college people were probably partying. And I was at BYU doing very weird creative dates and going bowling and stuff like that. And I'm glad for it in a way, and I'm sad for it in another way. And it's all very valid. So Thanks for writing that in and thanks for everyone else who wrote in their stories and thoughts. I, again, just so appreciate hearing the variety of experiences and understanding that we all have these similarities and differences and it's really nice, really healing to connect on what's just a really unique experience in the post-Mormon world. I definitely am going to talk more about the Word of Wisdom in the future. I want to bring Bentley on because I think he has very different experiences and ideas about Word of Wisdom stuff. So I think that'd be fun to talk with him about. So stay tuned and I can't wait to chat with you all next week. Before you go, may I humbly implore that if you've listened and you've liked it, please leave a review. It seriously just makes such a big difference. So rate, review, smash that subscribe button, follow me on Instagram, all the things. Thanks. Love you all and I'll see you next week. Bye.